first of all, you need to deal with your own expectations. Sometimes as parents, we resent the fact that correction is part of the job. But the Proverbs tell us that corrections are, are a way of life. The corrections of discipline are a way of life. And it's better just to embrace that reality and say, you know what? This, this is part of the package as a parent. And it needs to all be done within the context of a loving relationship, a loving environment. As I said earlier, parenting can be extremely inconvenient. Amen? <laughs> and we just need to have a plan. It's necessary to have a plan if we're going to avoid this reactive kind of knee-jerk parenting that we, we do. Um, we need to see correction as an opportunity, not just um, an interruption. And um, it does feel like an interruption, though, to the flow of life. And that's why I like to think of correction as a detour. The only problem is I don't like to be the tour guide. Do you? I do not like this. Um, but the sooner our children learn to accept correction, the sooner they're going to grow up. They're just going to mature a lot quicker in life. And um, one of the things that uh, we need to understand is that it starts with words. You say, well, why do we start with words? Because that's how God deals with us. God uses his word to deal with us, to teach us. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the word of God is useful or profitable for a number of different things. The first being teaching. The word of God is profitable for teaching. What's that mean? Well, there are certain things you and I need to know about God, about life, about ourselves. And so teaching is just the way the Lord gives us our basic core beliefs and values and standards and morals. He tells us in his word who he is and, and what he's like and what the purpose of life is and, and, and who we are and the condition of our hearts and why we need him and and all of these things, the basic teaching of truth about God, the Bible tells us. In the same way, as a parent, there are certain basic values and beliefs that you want to pass on to your children, and you use your words to do it. Another thing the Bible does is it's profitable to, uh, for rebuking. Now, the Holy Spirit comes along using the truth in his word to begin to let us know when we've gotten off path, when we've strayed. And, and we feel conviction over sin. And that's rebuking. Correcting, similar but, but different. It's kind of a, a nudge the other direction. Correction is how to get back on the path. Rebuking is God's way of saying you're off track. And correction is God's way, and he does it through his word, of saying here's how to get back on. Here's what to do right, not just... Here's what you're doing wrong, but here's what to do right. What do I need to change? And then training in righteousness. This is how to continue to walk in righteousness, to practice doing right, and how to avoid doing what's wrong. And so I like to think of it as a path. Teaching is how to get on the path with God. Rebuking is him letting us know when we're off track. Correcting is here's how you get back on path. And training is how to stay on the path. And, and God's word is useful for these things. In the same way, you're going to come along as parents throughout the course of the day many times. And you're going to use your words to convey these same types of thoughts to your children. Now, 
In the process, you need to understand the difference between a threat and a warning because I think so often as parents, we get sort of in that threatening, repeating mode. And a threat is basically where we pour a bunch of emotional intensity intensity into the message. And it's usually spoken out of anger or desperation. And it's usually an, a, sort of an exaggerated consequence. And, and uh, we rarely actually follow through. So you might say something like this. Um, if you don't pick up these toys, I'm going to throw them all away. And uh, I came across a, a comic that captured that perfectly. And uh, you see the mom here just about losing her mind. If you don't clean your room, I'll throw away all your toys and cancel the trip to Disney World. And the kid is not even slightly phased, right? <laughs> okay, so that's a threat. Now, there's a difference between that, though, and a warning. A warning just restates the rule. And give sort of a sneak preview of coming attractions. <laughs> okay? And this is, we have to do this a lot of times in family life. And again, don't be harsh, be firm. Be matter of fact. Just, you don't have to get all intense about it. And that's really an important thing that you'll hear me repeat uh, throughout the course of the day. Because I think all of us can fall into that mode. Now, I want to tell you about a little concept, a little tool called the break. Okay? You say, yeah, I want to break something. No, no, I'm talking, the break. It is a wonderful, wonderful, helpful tool in family life. And it's, and it's really useful for a number of reasons. First of all, you can use this at home. You can use this in public. You can train your Sunday school teachers and they can use it back in the classroom. Um, I have educators, foster parents, um, DSHS employees, um, adoptive parents. I have all kinds of people everywhere I go come to these seminars and they come to me consistently and say, this is useful. Because, of course, there's so much abuse out there among children these days that um, it's, it's hard to find how do you effectively discipline a child these days without running the risk of getting them taken away. Uh, that happens. And uh, so this is a, a, a concept that I think you'll, you'll really like. Um, it's also uh, wonderful, not just because it's versatile and you can use it anywhere, but the focus. It's on the heart, not just behavior. So much of uh, parenting advice these days sort of focuses on behavior modification. And um, that, that really is not very helpful in in a building character into your kids. And that's why we have this seminar and the focus that we do. Another thing we see in the break is that it really is how God deals with us, how he disciplines us. Um, so it's biblical. This concept is biblical. And then you'll notice that the weight of responsibility is on the child. And that's biblical too. God holds us to account. And uh, we have to make decisions of whether or not we're going to choose to obey and follow God. And, and it's our responsibility. He doesn't force us. And so this is why we use the break. Now, I want to I tell you how it works. And then I'm going to tell you why it's different than time out. Okay? Because you might be thinking to yourself, oh, this sounds kind of like time out. No, it's not. It's different for some pretty fundamental reasons that I'll share in a minute. But let me tell you what it looks like. 
Let's say I have one of my daughters or my son. Let's say my son, my daughter, one of my daughters comes up and says, Caden um, hit me. And they're whining and they're upset. Caden hit me. And they're going on and I'm going. And then Caden's going, yeah, but she took my book, you know. And they're just going at it, you know, sibling rivalry. We call that practice marriage. <laughs> <laughs> What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what we tend to do. We tend to play Solomon. Okay, who started it? We want to get to the bottom of this. We start, you know, asking for evidence, following the clues. The bottom line is we weren't there. And nine times out of ten, we really never get anywhere. Because, of course, each of them presents their side and they sound right. And so you're kind of on the horns of a dilemma here. It's like, well, what do I do? And, and... This will help so much because what it does is it, it holds each person accountable for their own actions. Anytime you have two selfish children, they're both wrong, right? And so all you have to do is you say, hey, oh, calm down, wait a minute, let's take a break. You sit over here, sit down, take a break. You go over there and take a break. Yeah, but he, hey, wait a minute, I'll deal with him. He's not your responsibility. I will talk to him. Right now, you sit down and take a break. Okay, you take a break. But she took... No, 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 wait a minute. This, we don't talk in a break, okay? <laughs> we take a break, which means that you're, you're quiet. And you have a job in a break. And your job is to change your heart. And, and they've got to do some heart work. They need to work on their own attitude, the way they're responding. And you for, you, you've got to sit down and take a break and calm down. When you're ready to calm down and, will, and you're willing to talk about it, and stop whining and complaining and throwing your pitch in your fit. When you're ready to calm down and talk about it, then come and see me and we'll talk about it. And so they both, they both go their ways and they sit down and they're taking a break. And one of them comes back and they have a grumpy look on their face. And I will look at them and I will say, you know what, sweetie, I'm looking into your eyes. I love your eyes, but they still look unhappy. I want you to sit down and keep taking a break. But dad, now see, this is what I'm talking about. You haven't really changed your attitude yet. You're still upset. You're still frustrated and angry. And I understand that. That's why I'm giving you some time. Calm down and take a break. When you're ready to just talk about it, we'll talk about it. Get down, take a break. Go over here and maybe this, this child's going, okay, dad, I'm ready to talk about it. All right. Now we can move forward. Now I'm not going to go to the next step yet because that's the next session. I'm going to tell you about something called the positive conclusion and that's the discussion we have after a break. But for now, I just want you to see part one and it's called the break and it's just a place for them to be willing to calm down. Now, um, by the way, this works for little children as well. I mean, you have a little toddler who pulls glasses off people's faces and <laughs> slaps in the face when they're being held, you know, these kinds of things. You, these are mini breaks. You just say, oh, oh, wait a minute. Sit down. You sit down. We're going to take a break. Be gentle. Don't, we don't hit. You be gentle. And you sit him down. You step back and say, okay, are you ready to be gentle? Yes. Up. You know, okay, pick him up. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, that was less <laughs> hard, but no, you just, <laughs> you sit there. You, you've just got to work with them. And, and, and kind of, it's, it is training. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like training a puppy. You know, you just, you just have to kind of work with them. And you sit down, take a break. Nope. We're going to be gentle. 
and, and maybe they pitch a fit. No problem. That's not your concern. They're, they're not going to get to play. They're not gonna, li- the, the, the idea is this. Life stops. Life comes to a stop. They don't continue to get their privilege and do what they want to do. And so there's a built-in incentive here. I mean, if they want life to continue as they enjoy it, then they have to do the heart work. They have to be willing to change their whole way of relating. And once they do, then you can talk about it. But you might send them down. Now, with little kids, it's just, it's just kind of back and forth like that. Okay, be gentle. And then you may have to show them. You pick them up and say, let daddy show you gentle. And you take their hand and you just, this is gentle. That's better. I love it when you rub my face. I don't like it when you hit my face. And that's unkind. We be gentle. And, and you know, sometimes for us, I, didn't, I don't remember ever dealing with the hitting, but I dealt sometimes with... Um, just the whining and the anger and the tantrum. And so uh, my kids understood cheerful. Uh, sometimes you can simplify it. You don't need to have all this whole complex way of describing things. With little kids, it's sad, mad, and glad. You know, I can see you're very sad right now. Or you're very mad right now. Or you're very glad right now. And you're out of control. You're so hyper and glad. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, I, you, got, you, you can pick your own terms. But for me, I just, my kids understood cheerful. And so I would just say, oh, take a break. I said, you're just really upset right now. When you're ready to be cheerful, then you can come and talk to me about it. But for now, you're in a break. Does that make sense? Now, with teenagers, again, you may be going, but, but what about teens? Hey, this works for teens because teens want stuff, okay? They, they, <laughs> they're like a toddler in a bigger body, and they just, they're just, it's all about me. And the thing is, um, they have to take a break as well. And they just say, now, where, you may be going, well, where, how, how does this work? With little kids, I just have them do it right where I'm at. My kids are trained uh, to the point, if I tell them to, you know, we're walking through Walmart, and I say, you know what, sit down, take a break. They're going to sit down right in the middle of the, because that's what they've been trained to do. And they understand they've got to take a break. And um, it might be by the bottom of the stairs. It might be in the kitchen by the refrigerator while you're cooking dinner. Um, You know, it might be in the hallway here at church. You know, you're trying to talk to, you know, uh, another adult and they're just, you know, being obnoxious. You say, well, wait a minute, excuse me. Sit down, take a break right now. And, and you just have them sit there quietly. Now, again, you've got to have the, the understanding ahead of time to be committed to this process. You might not get a continued conversation because God might say, you know what? Training your child is more important right now. And until they're trained, you don't have the freedom to just hang out and fellowship and let your kids run amok. You have got to train them to be able to be respectful in public places. And so um, you, I'm just telling you ahead of time, it's, it, you've got to choose this. You've got to look ahead and work on this at home. Then when you're in public, you won't have to. That's the nice thing about learning something in one slice of life. It often will translate to other slices of life. You don't have to keep training everywhere. If you get it mastered at home, you're fine whenever you go somewhere else. And um, if your children learn obedience in one area, chances are they're going to uh, be obedient in other areas too. So it's, it, that's, that's one of the nice things about this. But with teens, you know, you're probably not going to have them sit down by the refrigerator while you're making dinner. You don't want to humiliate them, but you do want them to understand life stops. Is this making sense? I know you may have other questions. I'm going to address those toward the end. But uh, let me tell you why this is different than timeout. In timeout, the goal is punishment. You deserve this, or you did this, you deserve that. You're just doling out consequences. Um, you know, and, and when your child gets older um, in the community, there's call, we have something called the justice system and the law. 
And uh, you know what? That is about punishment. You were speeding, you get a ticket. You, you know, uh, stole something, you go to jail, period. They're not, work, they're not trying to train you. They don't really care about your character. They just care about protecting society. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's the consequence. But the break is different because you're, it's rooted in this biblical idea that you're working toward repentance. You're trying to deal with not just behavior, but get at the heart. We're not just raising them to be little Pharisees and just image management. I mean, and just do the right thing all the time. You're trying to get them to think biblically, to, to, to think about their character and their, their heart. Focus on a timeout is on behavior. In a break, it's on the heart. Length of time determined by the parent in a timeout. In a break, it's determined by the child. Now, this is really important because <laughs> sometimes we don't... How, how do you know what's the right time? Have you ever had your kids come from a timeout and they still haven't changed? I mean... 30 seconds later, they're doing the same thing they were doing. Okay, you're back in timeout. Nothing was accomplished. Other times, you're so busy, you forget they're there. And like a half hour later, mom, I, you know? So the length of time, you need to, you know, the child needs to be involved in this, okay? I mean, if some kids, if, if, you, if you keep them there beyond what is reasonable and they really have changed their heart, I mean, they could be in there plotting revenge. I mean, you, <laughs> they are mad now because you've totally, you know, gone overboard with this. And so, role of discipline, it's a consequence in time out and a break. It's just part of training. And training is teaching. That's all it is. And, and so it's part of a process. The responsibility, uh, the parent has the responsibility for the child to return in a time out, not so for the break. Uh, they need to make some changes before returning. The attitude, and I love this, the attitude of a, of a parent in timeout emphasizes distance. You know, you're bugging me. Just go sit in timeout. And we get so annoyed and irritated with what, how inconvenient they're being. And it, and it really emphasizes distance in the relationship. And it's, it's, a, it's a really a damaging thing. The break, I love this, it emphasizes the parent's desire for the child to return. And it's rooted in the story of the prodigal son. And we'll talk about that um, here as, as we go through. But, um, but it, it gets to the root of the selfishness and the disobedience and, and the immaturity uh, because it, it, it forces them to think about their behavior and, and what their attitude is. Now, there's some distinctives that make this work. Number one, the child is sent on a mission to change a heart. The way this happens, and biblically, the, the concept is repentance. Here's what we say. You need to be willing to stop fighting to calm down and be willing to talk about the problem. Okay? The next thing is you need to be willing to acknowledge what you did was wrong. Okay. And sometimes that is part of the conversation we'll talk about in session four. What, how to help them come to that understanding of what they did that was wrong. Because sometimes you ask a child why they did something and what do they say? I don't know. Well, okay. That's why I'm here. I'm going to help you. So uh, the next aspect of repentance is you recognize there's a better way. Repentance isn't complete unless you've turned and started moving the other way. Um, that's biblical repentance. And then commit to doing right. There, there needs to be a decision of the will. Okay, I'm not just going to stop doing what's wrong. I'm actually going to, I'm not going to just be, uh, stop being unkind to my sister. I'm going to be kind in the way I talk to her, the way that I treat her. Commit to doing right. Now, there's a couple of other aspects to repentance that are ideal, but really we don't have as much control over. 
because it truly is in the area of the heart and it's something that only God can do. It's the same for you and I, by the way. Biblical repentance, the scripture says, begins with godly sorrow. And God's able to make us sorry. How many of you know that? God, God alone is able to do that work in our heart where we come to the place where we are really sorry for what we... I mean, we see how what we've done has affected other people. It produces sorrow. That's where lasting change starts to happen. That's where lives really begin to change is when a person finally gets it. Man, I've made a mess of things. And I, and I, I need a savior. <laughs> I can't keep trying to fix this myself. I need the Lord. And, and there's a genuine sorrow because we see things from his point of view. And, and then he begins to put in us a desire to do what's right. I want to please the Lord. Paul the Apostle in Romans 7 talked about that. He said in, in, you know, in his spirit, he, he just delighted to do the will of God. But there was a struggle with the flesh because he said, you know, he, he discovered that, that willpower wasn't enough. To will is present, but the doing of good I do not find, he said. So it's got to be more than just willpower. Um, a child has to come to the conclusion, and really this ultimately will, build, will be a spiritual crisis in their life where they discover the Lord, where they realize, I need a Savior. Good grief, I, can't, I just can't do the things that I want to do, and I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And it's the same for you and I. And, gee, and we finally believe, I guess I need the Lord. And that's where a full, a full repentance uh, takes place. But for now, do you, see, do you see how this is rooted? In a break, you, you've got to get them to calm down, stop fighting, acknowledge wrong, recognize there's a better way, and be willing to do it. And you can train that into them using this tool. The next thing is the child helps determine the length of time. And uh, this, is, uh, this is so important. Um, they take the initiative to return. As I said before, too much time or too little time, we tend to err, one extreme or another. But this transfers responsibility to the child, and the goal is a changed heart. I said it's rooted in the prodigal son story. I love this picture. This rebellious, spoiled kid runs off with the inheritance. Dad, I want my money. Okay. I'm sure the Bible doesn't tell us the whole exchange that, that, that may have taken place. But no, date, no doubt that father pleaded with his son to not continue on the path or go on the path that he was considering. But he left things in such a way, and again, the Bible doesn't, it doesn't say this explicitly, but clearly it's implied in the story by the way that the father responded and the way the son, some of the conclusions that the son came to. And you know the story. He found himself there in the pig pen at the bottom and realizing he'd made a mess of his life. And the Bible says he came to his senses. I like that. He came to his senses. And he began to reflect on his dad and he came to this conclusion. He said, you know, my servants make out better than I do. I mean, my dad's servant. And I can just see, see him thinking, you know, my dad's a good guy. I'm sure that father left things in a way where he told him, if you do this, this is what you can expect. But I still love you. That, that kid knew my dad is good because he decided to go and take a chance and go back. He wouldn't have done it if, his, if he didn't know that his dad was good. He said, maybe, maybe he'll let me just be one of his servants. 
And you know the story, he comes back and that father comes running down the road to meet him, ready to embrace him, ready to receive him back. And this is what I love so much about the break. It puts the weight of responsibility on the child, but once they've made the change of heart and they come to their senses, that you want them to think, you don't want their last memory of you to be, mom was just mad. Dad just doesn't like me. You know, you want them to remember, I think my dad will love me. I think mom will receive me back. And when they come back, you're there to restore. You don't take it all personally and, you know, play any kind of weird mind games with them and manipulate them and make them feel bad. You're there. Hey, welcome back. I missed you. I missed you. I can see you've made some changes in your heart. That's great. And the next motivation is that they're missing out on family life. You know, every family has privileges associated with it. Might be computer time or, or game time with the family or uh, watching television or having friends over or talking on the phone. Uh, there's just things that you do in the course of a, of a day or an evening in family life. And I'll tell you, it's motivating to a child when they're missing out on the blessings of family life. They might be acting up at the table. And you have them say, you know what? I think you need to take a break. Come over here and sit down. You take a break. Now, not only are they missing out on, on, the, on you know, the family interaction, but they're, and this is significant, they're missing out on food. <laughs> food can be a great motivator. And when you, I'm not saying you should starve your kids. Don't misunderstand. But there's things like that scenarios. Just very practically, when a child is, is having to sit away and be separated it causes them to think. It kind of urges them to make the heart level adjustments they need to make. Now, I'm not suggesting that they're separated from your love. Not at all. Your love is unconditional. You don't ever isolate them from your love, but you can separate them from the blessings of family. God does that. God doesn't bless rebellious, disobedient kids, does he? He doesn't reward us for that. He says, look, if you choose that path, you're going to get a spanking. <laughs> It's going to hurt. And God has a way of bringing consequences into our lives that, that he chastens us. And we realize, wow, I've been missing out. And we can be very isolated and very lonely and out of fellowship. It's the way God deals with his church. There's, there's times where as church leaders, where as pastors, we have to literally put, tell people they're out of the fellowship. And it's not because we don't love them. It's because we do. And we know that if they're going to come to their senses and see their sin and how it's affecting them and others, then they have to be out of fellowship. And eventually they get beat up a little while out in the world and they come straggling back in. <laughs> their Bible in their hand, they're in the front row and they're going, okay, I'm ready to listen now. I'm ready to follow God. I'm ready to act like a Christian and stop doing the crazy things I do. And, and God humbles them. And it's the same in family life. Your kids, you know, they're self-centered and, and stubborn. And they do things that, that are not good. And they need to miss out on the blessing. We tell our kids that, you know, you, can, you can't enjoy the, the privileges of this family until you're willing to contribute to what makes this family work. You know, when you're ready to, to be a blessing to others, then you can enjoy the blessings. And again, this is, this is rooted in the scripture. Very motivating for teens. 
you know, because they have their friends and their music and their, you know, freedoms and they just, you know, it totally works with them. Um, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's effective. It's, it's fascinating to me how a teen can be screaming at you uh, to get out of their room and slam their door and they're huffing and stomping and doing all their carrying on. And then, you know, uh, 10 minutes later, they say, can I have some money? <laughs> you know, they, they want things. Can you take me to the mall? Can you do this? Or can I have a friend over? I'm telling you, life stops for that child. And when they start to realize, they really do have to think about how they're treating the family. How, you know, they've got to be respectful um, and uh, honoring to the family. And, and taking a break will help them do that. And now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but you don't know my kids. <laughs> what if my child goes to a break, but then they pitch a fit while they're there? I'm so glad you asked. Well, don't get sucked into the emotional battle. Okay, I'll just tell you that for starters. Don't start dialoguing and debating and arguing. Um, you need to just shut it down. Just say, hey, you know what? We don't talk. We don't argue in a break. This is where you calm down and then you're willing to talk about it. And when you've done that, then we can talk about it. And, and if they keep pitching a fit, you have to persevere. Do not give in to tantrums. Um, it's, it's really important. If you're in public, drop the Wheaties and go home. Leave the store. I know it's embarrassing. I know that it's inconvenient. But believe it or not, your child's soul is on the line. Because if they become, as a way of life, so self-centered that they cannot make the changes necessary in order to treat people right, they are going to have a heartbreaking life, aren't they? I mean, you must do this. It's a rescue mission. <laughs> really, it is. The Proverbs talks about this pretty strongly. If you don't discipline your son, as Proverbs says, it's, it's as though you hate them. Now, that's strong language. But if you follow those seeds of rebellion and, you, and you, that follows its natural course, it will destroy your child's life. You don't believe me? <laughs> Go spend some time in a jail. I preach in the prisons and I'm telling you something. They're full to overflowing with people who never learned this. Somebody didn't love them enough in the right way to teach them this stuff. Don't get sucked into the battle. You know, you can be more entertaining than TV sometimes because they love to just push your buttons and get those reactions and you need to just be calm, cool, and collected. Hey, there's no skin off my nose. You just, you just need to keep it calm and persevere through it. And, um, you know, you may have a toddler that won't stay, you know, in the, put them in a crib, you know, and, 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 and you can, you can still be calm. You can walk away and you can stand right outside the hall. Say, what if they climb out? Put them back in. You have to do that 20 times. Put them back in and say, when you calm down, you're ready to be cheerful, then, then we can talk about it. But you're going to stay in this crib until you calm down. They can scream themselves to sleep. That's just fine. Yeah, there's no reason why you have to give in to that. There's no good reason at all. What about if they won't, they won't go to a break? Well, you need to expect resistance. But with time and consistency and determination, they will accept this. I heard a story of one mom that wrote us about Marky. Actually, she was a teacher, a Sunday school teacher. 
And uh, little Marky was, was pitching a fit. And he was literally a danger to himself and to others because he was throwing things and, and just going crazy. And, um, and she had to be tough, but she was also gentle. And I love the way she did this. She just scooped up Marky. Now, oh, some depends on the size and strength of the child, obviously. But with a little child, and that's usually where you see kids kind of throwing their tantrums physically. It's usually with a younger child. And so uh, she just scooped him up. She sat down with him on his lap and just confined him. Not, you know, jerking and yanking and, and being mean about it. But she just, she was bigger and strong. She just sat down and confined him. And she just said, Marky... And she whispered in his ear, when you calm down, I will let go. I'm not going to hurt you. We're just going to sit here. And when you calm down and stop screaming and stop hitting and kicking, then we'll, I'll let go and we can talk about it. And she just firmly but gently held him. You know, I bet that kid never felt more loved in his whole life. That kid was out of control. And whether he realizes or not, he was crying out for somebody to have enough love to control him, to pull in the boundaries so that he could learn how to calm down. She was giving that boy a real gift. And you know, you may have a child like that. You have to sit down and whisper there, I'm not going to hurt you. We're just going to sit here until you calm down. And eventually, they'll, they'll start to understand. And um, some kids may, may fear a lecture. They might not come out of a break. You may have a real sweet-spirited little kid in some ways that just kind of won't come out of the break. Um, and, and they're just afraid. You can just encourage them and just say, hey, remember, when, once you're ready to be chilled, you come and talk to me and you can come out of the break. And just kind of nudge them a little bit. Um, what if they come back and they don't have a changed heart? I've kind of already talked about that. I just... Take them right back and say, oh, I don't, I don't hear uh, that you've really changed your heart yet. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you, Jesus dealt with this. He, he, he went to his own people one time. And uh, the Bible says he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Another time he looked over Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings like a mother hand gathers her chicks. But you were not willing and so often I think that this is true in family life. Sometimes we're not willing. Our children are not willing. And uh, we need to be committed to the process. Ready? We're, remember, we're working on, on hearts. Uh, teenagers, it will work with teenagers. Teenagers often try to ignore problems and excuse them. Um, remember, you're equipping them for life. They need to be able to have understand these things if they're going to experience healthy relationships and you may have to suspend their privileges and kind of slow down the process for them i think you need to be prepared for resistance um, i meet with adults of all ages every day of the week almost who come in and when i start to address the issues in their marriage they are um you know what they're doing they're pointing the finger at the other person they're blaming they're making excuses and we shouldn't be surprised because it all started out that way. Adam said, it's the woman thou gavest to me, Lord. <laughs> it's her fault. And what does she do? Well, it's the serpent's fault. And, and this is what we try to do. We avoid, we, we, we shift the blame, we make excuses. And you know what? Uh, you don't want to let your kids become adept at that. You want to teach them to own it, to take responsibility. I told you about Jonah going the other way. The thing that I like about that story is, uh, is God sort of understood this principle because he just essentially said, okay, Jonah, time to take a break. And he sent a great big, way, big fish 
And that's where Jonah took his break. But God humbled. I mean, he really did have to change his heart. And God humbled him through that process. But I love it in chapter 2, I believe it is, where it says, but the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And that's pretty neat because I have to tell my kids things more than once too. <laughs> and I feel, hey, if God had to do that, I guess it's okay that I have to do that. And uh, this, is, this is really, really, it does work with all ages. And, and for that matter, it works with you. Send yourself on a break sometimes. I, you know, I remember one time my son did something that just made me so mad because it was something that just uh, potentially could have been dangerous for his, his sisters. And I was so angry um, that I was going to be sinning <laughs> if I didn't calm down. And so I literally, the Lord just said, John, you need to take a break. And I rarely, I can't even remember the last time I was ever so mad. And I thought, this is really weird. I, I just, I needed to calm down. So I spent about 30 minutes on my knees in prayer just saying, God, you've got to change my heart because that boy's not long for this world. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it was good though because the Lord did change my heart. And then I was able to go to him and listen, I was able to truly reflect the heart of the Father. Do you remember Moses when he struck the rock? That story? And <laughs> God had to deal with Moses. And he dealt with him pretty tough, pretty heavy handed. Why? Because Moses misrepresented God. It's as simple as that. And you and I have to be very careful that we do not misrepresent God to our kids because we're accountable. We have to give account to the Lord for how we represent him. And so here's how, it, just kind of real quick recap. It's helpful for kids of all ages. It takes practice. Even we need a break. And don't get sucked into the emotional battle. Those are some just little tips about how to apply this in your family. And, uh, and just the last thing I will say about this is you need to have a family meeting. I was talking with someone during our break uh, about this, about, you know, you go home from stuff like this and you go, okay, I'm ready. I'm loaded for bear here. Let's, you know, and you want to start applying some of the new things you learn. Be careful. You need to have a family meeting. You need to let them know you're under new management. You've got to, <laughs> seriously, I mean, you need, to, you need to sit down and you just need to say, hey, you know what, kids, I've learned some things about myself as a parent. And there's some things that I, you know, I haven't been doing right. And I want to make some changes. And here's what, here's what, we're going to make some changes in family life because we want to love each other well. We want to honor one another. And the truth is, there's been a lot of yelling going on. There's been a lot of stuff, tantrums and things going on. So we're going we're gonna to implement something called the break. And you just talk through it with them. You explain it. To, you set up scenarios and you practice. Okay, we're going to set up a scenario. Let's say that you just hit your sister. No, no, don't really hit her. But, uh, <laughs> but let's pretend you just hit your sister. And, uh, and now let's talk about it. I'm going to, I'm going to, and, and I, okay, I want you to sit over here and take a break. And, and you just walk through it with them. And you help them to take responsibility for themselves. And you know what? It doesn't change overnight. But what happens is little small adjustments over time start to take root in their heart. They start to catch themselves. They start to think differently. They start to take responsibility for their actions and their attitudes. And again, it's, it, has to be, it has to work because it's just, it's just the Bible. It's just the truth. It's the Word of God. God knows how we tick. And He knows sometimes we need a break. 
That's how he produces repentance in us. And so the next session, you guys, it just gets better. You guys are going to be talking about a toolbox of consequences, or I'm going to talk about a toolbox of consequences. And this is the one that everybody's excited about because you're thinking, oh, goody, <laughs> he's going to give me weapons. <laughs>